Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 32 of the North Meet South web podcast. Another one. Episode 32. That is my, it is my golden episode. I'm 32. The episode is 32. There you go. Here we go. Yes. And this is our second attempt at recording this episode as well. Yes, it is. Because the last time I re- we recorded something, I, mean, I don't even remember what we recorded. We recorded a couple things and then I flaked out on recording the other part of that I was supposed to record. And so <laughs> you never got out. That's Here why it seems like it's been fresh so long. Episode. Yeah, that's why it seems like it's been so long since we yeah. recorded. Yeah, and then I was in the US and it turned out that it was much more difficult to get the two of us together and record than we thought it would be being in the same time zone, given that yeah. I was being a tourist all the time. That's true. It was very difficult, which is funny. Yeah, ironic, right? Yeah. Today we wanted to talk about new jobs, new roles, junior developers. Uh, along with that, managing timelines and Gantt charts. I'm just kidding. Somebody said, if you ever do Gantt charts, they're not listening anymore. That's what they said. <laughs> they said, as soon as you mention Gantt charts, I'm out. We just lost a listener right there, right then. Yep. There's one down. Uh, managing pull requests, managing timelines, how to use view, managing state and view, Facebook real-time analytics for ads, microservices versus majestic monolith. That's what I've got all for like a smattering of topics that we can talk about. So I'm going to let you pick. What do you want to talk about first? Well, seeing as it's been quite a while, I think, and and we did we did talk about this on Twitter a little bit that we would speak about our new roles now that we're both transitioned into more lead developer type roles. So I think we could probably start there. Okay, you want to go first? Sure. We we've talked a little bit about I think on the show previously that my previous job had taken on new owners earlier in the year, and it was sort of a, a wait and see thing to figure out whether or not the new owners would have any alignment with the kind of work that we had been doing in my team. So it, it was, it seemed fairly clear very early on that they didn't really have much interest in the work that my team had been doing in the streaming media space, but it was a matter of, you know, we'll, we'll sit and wait it out to see what happens. And I had already, already put a, a marker on the calendar saying basically what the notice period that I needed to give in order to be able to go, you know, away on, on our, vacation to the US would serve as you know a nice holiday between my notice period and starting a new job so that I wouldn't have to you know take that annual leave while I started a new job and then you know you burn away annual leave before you even have it so sure sure so you know put that that line on the on the calendar and and as that date approached it became obvious that you know the business was realigning its its values and what it what it wanted to do um, and the streaming media wasn't wasn't really part of that so it all worked out pretty well unfortunately for the previous business the three developers that were there all left pretty much together as well as the mobile developer which i think worked out in their favor anyway because they had pretty much planned to to shut down all of that media stuff anyway so so they got up before they had to get let let go right you know they got a chance to get another job right yeah so you know it worked out well for us it worked out well for them um, you know, it was pretty much a clean break. So that was that was pretty good. And then as as folks know, I then spent, you know, a bit of time overseas traveling around the US, you know, had Laracon 
and then came back on the Friday, started a new job on Monday. So I now, like yourself, am in a lead developer role Woo-hoo! for a new business. So I work. Congratulations! Woo. Yay! Thank you so much. So it's nice. It's it's been two weeks since I started that role. Now it is a little bit overwhelming. Not in terms of the volume of work, but just in the way that everything has been pieced together. And we'll talk about it over the journey of, of the job, I guess. But the first thing that has been clear to me is that communication has been a little bit lacking from the development department. And I think that should come as a surprise to no one that that kind of situation could arise, especially in a small, smaller business. There's only really one developer there, um, aside from me, who has kind of slid in underneath so I've come in as a lead and he's he's come in as a an associate developer I guess now but I still lean on him quite heavily because he's been there for a long time he knows all of the systems he knows how everything pieces together it's a little interesting there's there's a lot of moving bits and pieces and there's no testing everything is just procedural php there's no no frameworks Ugh. and 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 it's kind of in a in a situation and I was like this in my previous job at an ISP where everything starts very small and it's very much get as much done with as few people as possible for as long as possible. And so usually the person that, that builds the network is also the person that manages the systems, that is also the person that yep. writes all the application yep, code. Yep. And so the original original CRM that they had had been around for about ten years and it served them fine. So that was great. And then it was decided by the development team that the CRM needed to be rewritten. And so the CRM was rewritten for no real reason and with no engagement from the people that actually use the CRM. Mistake so, number one. Yeah, mistake number one. And so just sitting in the office, we've basically got two offices and the, the office that the developer's in is not the same office as where most of the staff is. Okay, so... Like not even attached? Not even attached, physically like 45-minute drive apart. Yikes, that's bad news, so, yeah. I mean, you know, we've got Slack, but it's not the same. And especially when they're actively not, you know, they're actively disengaged with the people that are that are on the phones, that are engaging with customers. They're, you know, there's, there are different thoughts behind how things should be done. So I think what I've noticed most in the first two weeks is just how thrilled they are to have a developer sitting in the same office as them. You know, it's it's more real. It feels tangible. A couple of the the folks went out to get lunch the other day and they came back with about 10 orders of lunch for different people. And I looked at them and I said, where was where was my invitation to ask if I wanted anything? I said, you're on the list. And they, they said to me, they were thrilled that I had even been considered to be put on a list, regardless of the fact that it was the bad list. So <laughs> it's good. You know, it's a great business. I love all the people that I've met so far. All the interactions have been really good. It's crunch time with a few things that that are on the go at the moment. I spent a week sort of fixing a bug that I had uh, found the speaking edge of. of sorry, speaking of bugs, I actually just got like... A message from my boss like, hey, uh, one of our AWS boxes is hosed. So we're going to try and see if we can do this live on air. All right, you keep talking. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to, I'm going to do something here. Go ahead. Sure. So, you know, I found this, there was a bug report for one thing. And as I started peeling away at the edges, that led to this cascade of this doesn't work. And there's this weird edge case over here and there were no tests for it. So it was purely me just looking at it and going, 
I've done this before because I was responsible for that same system at my previous ISP job. So I started peeling away at the edges and I got everything working and I wrote tests for it and I made sure it all did what it was supposed to do logically. But I spent a week on that and then yesterday I get the phone call from the CTO and he's like, look, we need you over the next week to focus on this specific thing. We have until next Friday and this is a this is a compliance issue for us. Ugh. So it's it it's is like it is literally a drop yeah. everything and right. fix it. Yeah. And I knew that I had to do this work. I just didn't realize the urgency of it and probably fault on me for not not asking, but no one was like, you know, jumping up and down when I said I'm gonna get to it. I'm just gonna finish this thing first because this is kind of crucial to our business. So yeah. So it's been good. I'm I'm really enjoying it. I'm looking forward to the challenges. I'm looking at forward to the challenges of working with the other developer who's very he's put blood sweat and tears into all of this stuff and and his go-to is that you know because it's plain procedural php it's easy for anyone to come and read and i'm trying to find the best approach at sort of convincing him otherwise because as we know if we're using a framework whether it's laravel or symphony or zend or whatever anyone that can write anyone that's used those frameworks can just drop in and they don't have to sort of grok how to use the environment they're in. They can focus on business-specific stuff. Whereas when you when a developer rolls their own stuff, as we know, every piece is different and every everything has to be explained and everything ties together in a special way, but it's not obvious from looking at it. So yeah. that'll be my biggest challenge in the short term, I think. The best thing for like me is like, or the best illustration I could give when I'm talking to people and they're like, well, why Laravel or why, you know, this or why that? I try and give an example that they can maybe understand. So one thing that is kind of a rule of uh, a way that you can keep things clean, right? Not in code, but just in life is like this old saying, a place for everything and everything in its place, right? So by having a place for things, it makes it much easier to clean up because all you have to do is put that thing back in the spot where it belongs and there you go. Everything's clean. When you have problems is when you don't have a place for things because then you have to go through the mental exercise of figuring out where am I going to put this? And if you don't decide a place for that to be every time you need to put it away, you have to do that same mental exercise. Where am I going to put this thing? You know, how am I going to label this box? Etc. Etc. And so it just gets really annoying. It slows you way down because you have to do the work of thinking through that every time. The biggest thing that somebody had said on Twitter the other day, they asked like, hey, why do you choose Laravel? And the thing I wrote back was conventions, number one, and conveniences is number two. Yeah. So conventions meaning like I know there are a bunch of little labeled boxes that I have that I can put things in that I do not have to think about. There's a naming convention, there is a location for it, there's a directory for it, and and if I need something to do this job, I can put it in this box, and it's done. And anybody who's gonna walk into that Laravel application is going to know those same boxes and is going to know where to look for those things. So you have things like form request objects. So that's going to hold validation and authorization for for a request. Great. Everybody, you know, who's used Laravel for a period of time knows where those are. And if you, you know, you can do it in your controller as an inline validation sort of thing if you want. But if it gets a little more complex, you now have this box that is predefined for you that you can go put that logic in. This responsible interface that we just talked about on Laravel News Podcast and absolutely slaughtered and did a horrible job describing and explaining (laughs) 
that is another little box that you can put things in, right? Your controller is getting a little bit messy. You need to modify something or, uh, or you know, aggregate a couple numbers before you push them back into a view. You now have a box to do that. So yeah, I totally agree. I could, I, there was another example I was going to give about when I worked in retail and had to like, we'd had to unload the trucks and <laughs> there were some stores that like did not have a system in place. So like, you know, everything just went on the racks in the back. And then when you needed to go find something in the inventory in the back, it was a disaster. Uh, and then there was another manager who was like, nope, we're not doing that. We're going to label everything. We're going to have a spot for everything before we even start unloading the truck. And it went way faster and you could find everything way easier. So that's what I equate frameworks to and Laravel to. And that's why, you know, regardless mm. of what framework it is that you're using, you should probably use one uh, or, you know, a couple, whatever. But um, yeah, I, I uh, think yeah. that's a good point. Especially if you know that you're in the early stages of development in terms of skill level, but in terms of the product. And if you know that you're a small team and you know that there's an avenue that you're going to expand going forward into the future, you need to make it as easy to onboard new developers and get them on board as quickly as possible so they can start focusing on your business problems, not focusing on how you've put things together. So I don't think I'm going to have too much resistance from the business as a whole in, in enacting change. From what I've seen so far, they're going to be reasonably responsive to it. It's Yeah, it's going to be the other developer and just making sure that we can align our views on sort of communication and how we're going to engage with the business before we start doing things. Yeah, because like I've learned this too, you know, and this kind of that whole Google Man Google manifesto thing that went around a while ago. Uh, somebody put out a blog mm -hmm. post and said like, if you've been led to believe that being a developer means you never have to talk to people, you have been deceived, right? Like it is a huge yeah. part of being a developer is getting... Uh, in interfacing with those who are going to be using the product. And uh, as Justin Jackson had said at uh, Laravel, like your biggest advantage is your, what did he say? Your knowledge of the user, right? Like you knowing and understanding their problem yeah. and being able to empathize with their problem. And until you can do that, you're not going to be building software that's going to solve their problems as effectively as it would be if you were actually interfacing with the user directly. Which is why, as you said, like 45 minutes away, that's not ideal as a developer. You need to be able to walk around and sit down with somebody for half a day and watch what it is that they're doing. And uh, yeah. that's pretty, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that in my position, that's exactly what I end up doing a vast majority of the time is I will go and just sit mm -hmm. with them and watch what they're doing and before we ever start building a product for them. Because in order for me to build a product for them, I need to know their problem as well as they know it. Or sometimes even better, like their departments. So we have a bunch of different departments. So if I don't know the department as well as they do, I'm not going to be able to build an uh, application that's effective for them. And what ends up happening a lot of times is after the fact, like you almost are more of an expert than they are at some things because mm. you had to learn them really in depth in order to be able to solve the problem. So yeah. Anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit transition to this uh, to view. So have you had a chance to use view? I know you put something in the cash money cowork the other day, the Slack channel, and it was a pretty nice little animation there. Did you use view for yeah, that? I did use view for that in the end. So I, part of this compliance stuff that I was working on was around the way that we're handling payments. And currently the, the members area that we have doesn't support it. So it was a matter of building that in, but using the we're using eWay as our payment provider. So no no fancy Stripe, unfortunately. And eWay is probably the most cost-effective solution for the business, given the volume that we deal with. But it is not the nicest developer experience, I got to tell you. Even just getting signed up and into their 
developer portal was a bit of a an adventure. So yeah, I did use Vue for that, and I was looking at a way to basically have some kind of mutator, like like we have in Laravel, but in Vue. And it came down to being able to use computed properties for that. Yeah, those are pretty. Those are super super handy. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like a. It's like you have a data, a piece of data that's on your little data object, whatever, and it's stored one way, and you don't really want to store it any other way. But you might use a computed property to handle uh, maybe converting it to a decimal or converting it to a percent. The other thing that you can use sometimes too is a filter. Mm-hmm. So a filter is a. How do you describe this? It's like if you wanted to display a piece of text consistently a different way so like if you wanted to display something as a decimal you could create a decimal filter or a percent filter or uh, all caps filter or something like that and the nice thing about that is you can just say here's the value i need so maybe i need dollar amount and then you can say pipe and then decimal or pipe currency you know those are kind of handy too yeah so filter was my first thought but when i was looking at because the filter changes the the value so that would change the representation of what you type in right Uh, like in the input box filter is only really for displaying it's not for yeah yeah so what i wanted to do was take take the input and then when i when i sent the post back to the server i wanted to manipulate the data on the post so currently i'm just passing I'm, i'm running the the manipulation on that string just before i send the post when i set up the object payload Yep. Or the payload object, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at a nice way of sort of doing that implicitly. And I think, yeah, it was TJ that pointed out I could just use a computed property. And then, of course, I could do that and then just use a different named property on the post and without having to call it. But I mean, I suppose it doesn't matter. It's not something that needs to be done on the fly as long as it's done before it leaves the client. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so the thing about Vue is it's wonderful and it's great and it's amazing and all that stuff. And I use it for a lot of things, but I feel like once I start getting into more complex territory, there is a number of different ways to do the thing, but there is not necessarily strict conventions around that mm. thing. So this is evident as was discussed on the latest Full Stack Radio with Jeffrey Way and Adam Wathen, where they were talking about how they structure their view apps and those sorts of things and two-way communication between, uh, you know, between different components. So there's a number of different ways you can do this, right? You can do events up, props down where you have, uh, you can, where you just kind of have a parent view object that's maintaining the state between them. You can use a, a really like a global object that you just import into both of your little view components. And then you can manually update that state. The problem mm-hmm. with that is it's not necessarily reactive, um, you can use Vuex, which has some different conventions on it, right? So it has like actions and mutations, and that allows you to do time traveling, which is pretty cool. But it can be a little bit of a pain to set up. It can be kind of complex, maybe overly complex. So you have to decide when that's the right solution. But yeah, I guess that's the thing I'm struggling with with Vue right now is I've had a couple different applications where it's getting a little bit more complex than what I've experienced before. And it can just get out of hand. So the thing I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to really like kind of pull it back and be like, okay, I only want to use Vue when I really can see the clear value of it. Because I feel like what some of my developers are doing is they're like, oh, here's a form. We're going to use Vue. And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. If there's nothing that needs to be reactive done on that form, there is no reason to use Vue. The only reason mm-hmm. you should use Vue on a form is if there is 
like if there is values that are only available if certain other values are populated, right? I don't ever want to have to check query the DOM with jQuery to figure that out. Yeah. If I need to be able to add things like when a pusher event comes in. So if there's like, you know, multiple people on a page or something and like a new form comes in or a new, a new form isn't the right, right? A new ticket comes in, we'll say, right? And, uh, and I want that to automatically add to the page, right? Then I'm gonna have to do that using view. So I can just inject something into the data model and it will automatically be reactive on the, on the front end. Or if I need to do some sort of, complex sort of like javascript validation before i want to send it to the server uh, i'm gonna have to do it on the server anyway but a lot of times it can be a pain if you end up having to make a round trip to the server and back if you've already filled out a lot of information you're going to lose something those are kind of like the three cases in which i'm interested in using view but i'm trying more and more to be like okay what can i get away with on the server side instead of using view and uh i've kind of been going back to some pjax stuff too because pjax is amazing it's like turbo links right yeah. it's turbo links pretty much is yeah, what it yeah. is and uh man i look back at the simplicity of some of the things that i built with that and it's just like oh man that's amazing that's how i want to do it so anyway view is great view is wonderful but i feel like it's i haven't either i haven't been using it long enough to know what those conventions are but i kind of don't think that's the case because there's people like jeffrey and adam who've been using it for a while and still don't have it figured yeah. out so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it was interesting listening to that episode of Full Stack Radio and, and just Adam saying, you know, every time I was doing something and, I, you know, he'd ask Evan, you, the creator of you about it, and he'd be like, oh, I don't really do that. And so I think the documentation is really good for Vue and it shows you a number of ways of doing things, but I think it probably needs to get to the point where it gets a little bit more opinionated about it and sort of say, this is how you know, this is the recommended convention or this is how we recommend we do it. Because as you say, we have that in Laravel, we have that everything has its place sort of mentality around it. And and we know from the community, we've, you know, the community generally moves in one direction. Whereas Vue, I feel the same, you know, I don't use it a whole lot. I don't think I'll be using it a whole lot now in my current role, at least in the short term, as we, as I try and sort of get the house in order. But if you're not using it often enough, that often, it really helps to have those conventions and directions and recommendations. And and Jeffrey raised the interesting point is that we're all asking, you know, is this a bad way of doing it? Or, you know, have I missed something? Is this seems like the wrong way of doing it? You know, passing objects into, into view components as properties and things like that. So I think view is probably hopefully going to get there. It's, you know, it's still young. It's only a couple of years old. So it's got some time to mature and, and really figure out. I mean, there was a big shift between version one and version two. So, and and Laravel had the same thing between version three and version four. So, yeah, we'll see. Are we still talking about Vue? Yeah, yeah, we're still talking about Vue because because we can we can slide into talking about Sparsi and their dashboard, which I've actually had a chance to play with in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, how's that gone? Yeah, it's been really good. I think when when I was at Laricon, the Freik gave the first talk, right? And yep. that was on his dashboard that they use at Sparsi, which has got all of their developer tasks on it. It's got their Twitter feed on it, the, the currently playing music, the calendar and things like that. And I'd been looking at it for a long period of time, this dashboard, but I didn't really have a good use case for it at my last job. But the new job, I was moving into an internet provider that runs a call center. And when I walked in and saw what they were using as their current sort of call dashboard in the call center, 
I knew exactly then and there that I had found a good opportunity to actually use this new this dashboard. And so I've been peeling away at the edges a little bit over the last couple of weeks since I've been there. Haven't spent a great deal of time on it just because of you know other needs and they've got something already. But it's been really great to sort of have something that you know you've got a good starting point. It uses this really nice grid layout where it's easy to say, you know, you can have a one by one box or a or a two by two or a one by two. Yeah, that was really clever. So that that makes it really easy to sort of lay out your tiles on a board. And so out of the box, it's all backed by some scheduled tasks that run, you know, every minute and they go and they fetch the task from GitHub or they there's um out of the box a firehose listener for Twitter. So basically it opens a connection to Twitter's um long running API. And it just sucks down data that, you know, Twitter will throw data at that connection and it then passes that and then it displays it on the board. So that was really good to have the tweets on there because you could say whenever my business is mentioned, put a tweet up on the board as it does. But it's good from a point of view of of a service center because if you start seeing tweets come in really, really quickly, you know that maybe there's something wrong and it's a good indication that we should be looking for something. So that was really good. It was so simple to get up and running with with the call board, you want it to be a little bit more real time than than a, a minutely cron. So I've sort of had to basically run a long running process that has like a five second timeout on it, as opposed to cron, which is has a minimum resolution of a minute. So I've I've inverted a few things there, but it's it's easy to make those manipulations. It's all pieced together with discrete view components and then styled using the tiles. So. I highly recommend it. I'm sure the Laracon US talks will be available online in the next few weeks. So when you get the chance, have a look at Freik actually run through the dashboard and explain how they piece it together and what they're using it for. And if you ever find yourself in in a position to be building a dashboard, then certainly check out this great starting point. We will put links in the show notes and we thank Sparsi once again for sponsoring our little show. Absolutely. The next time we're on the show and we're going to talk about one, I'm going to talk about the view state mix-in that they've created. So since you haven't had a ton of time to use view, Michael, one thing that you'll learn, which is really cool, is about mix-ins. Mix-ins are traits in view, essentially. Uh Uh So what you can do, have you looked at them at all before? Only as a byproduct of the dashboard. Yeah. So all you have to do is you basically say like, okay, I'm going to create a new file, whatever. I'm going to call it statemixin.js. And all I need to do in that file is I say export default and then I create an object. And all I have to do is put on the things that I want merged with my view object, essentially. So if I want a method on my view object called save state then all i would have to do is just make a a, in the in the object i would need to make a methods object or let's see is it gonna be methods yeah methods object and then call uh you know save state whatever and pass a function in and then what it would do is in my in my view component that i'm gonna that i'm going to create i would have in my mixins key i would just pass in the mixins that i want and so then what happens is those methods or those filters or those computed properties or whatever they just get merged in and so you can kind of have these different pieces of functionality that you can just kind of sprinkle in on top of any of the components that you mm-hmm. want so it's sort of like uh what is it something over inheritance uh 
kind of composure, but um, composition, composition over inheritance, right? So uh, instead of having like a, a component and then a, a component that extends a component sort of thing, you can just have these little mix-ins and they can be used across components, which is yeah. pretty cool. So we've used that a couple nice. times. It's really, really handy. Yeah. But they've got a really nice one called the view state, uh, view save state that will kind of restore the state of your component to what it was the last time you loaded up the page. It just saves it in local storage. So that's pretty cool. Might want to check that out too. Yeah, it's really nice. They use it in a couple of their other components. I think their view tabs component, they, uh, they use it in there too. Yeah. So yeah, it's in the dashboard. I looked at it and I thought, I don't know what that is and I don't think I need to use it just now. So that's nice that you explained that for me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. My pleasure. Uh, let's see here. We were going to talk about managing timelines a little bit. Uh, I don't feel like either of us are qualified to talk about this though. No. I'm still, I'm very much in over my head at this stuff. We've got like three or four projects going on at work right now simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I am having a heck of a time trying to figure out how to keep my other developers on task or not on task necessarily, but just how to update them with like where they should be and setting deadlines and those sorts of things. So as horrible as it is to say the word Gantt charts again, yeah, I'm kind of like looking at them, which is basically just a way to see visually what tasks you still have to complete before a entire project is done. If you've never looked at Gantt charts, just mm-hmm. take a look at them. There's some really good SaaS stuff out there for, for doing this. So yeah, if I, if I end up getting around to using one, I'll let you guys and girls know and tell you what I think. So yeah, we had, when I, when I dropped into this business, they said, you know, everything's done with tickets. And so the tickets are literally used across the business. There are tickets for development tasks. There are tickets for the call center. There are tickets for the, you know, the, the wireless and the system engineering teams. I said, tickets are great for reporting issues, but it doesn't really help from a development perspective. It gives you no resolution over individual tasks that belong to a ticket. It doesn't really give you any understanding of state or where you're at. Uh, so day two, basically, I set up Trello and I set up a board for our CRM and I set up a board for our members area and I painstakingly copied and pasted all of the tickets from our existing ticketing system into Trello. What ticketing system are you guys using? It's an open source self-hosted one. Uh, it's OS Ticket. Does it have an API? Um, potentially. I haven't really looked into it in great detail just yet. We're using a thing called Freshdesk and it has an API which we just recently integrated with, which makes it nice. We can handle our tickets and stuff through. Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing... Are they using it for sort of inbound mail, like customer support requests as well? And then there's no way of linking the the ticket that came in from a customer to their CRM record. So there's some work that we could probably do around that as well. But yeah, for I've tried to sort of stave off at least for the time being estimating anything in in days. There are a couple of projects where, you know, there needs to be a definitive, like we're going to launch this. But I've tried at least with the amount of stuff that was in there already to just estimate in terms of effort Mm -hmm. to put something on a scale of one through five and say, you know, one is not much effort and five, there's unknowns or we've got to do some project discovery or things like that. But it helps for the business, at least for the people above that, that need to see it activity to see that there is a backlog that there is a, a list of things that we're going to work on next to see that stuff is in progress and to see that it is moving 
So in the short term, as I said, my colleagues now, they're, they're happy just to see someone physically there in the office. And they're seeing that, that my mentality is very different to the mentality that has been there before. And my mentality around how I, I develop software and how I would expect other developers to write software closely aligns with the way that the operations manager works in that, you know, that they require communication and they need engagement with, you know, don't just go and do something. I opened up a page in the CRM and I know this is something that Adam Wathen has has gone about, got upset about in the past, is I opened this page and there was a yellow button, a blue button and an orange button all on the same page. And it was not clear from looking at them what was the the main driver. So Yeah, I'm totally oh my word. Wow, did I go off on a tangent or what? <laughs> no, you're good. I, I'm getting I, I'm there with you, man. Like uh, I want to be careful because I like so my developers are excellent people. They really are. But like it's just interesting. Like different people approach things with different just different I don't know. It's not aesthetics. It's like just different priorities almost. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's just their, their development style is, is just a conglomeration of all the experiences that they've had. I think I've been spoiled because the guy that I work with mostly Jordan, we have very similar styles like of, of things where like, we are not, we are not releasing anything until it has been like beaten to death to make sure that it's not going to break when somebody does something stupid. Yeah. And not everybody approaches stuff that way. A lot of people approach stuff like, well, it works. Yeah. It's like, okay, but did you test it for this? Well, no. Okay, well, then it doesn't work. Yeah. Like, it's not done until you have stress tested this thing to the max. And that was like, Jordan was always my sounding board for that. I'd, I would give something to him and be like, I think I've done everything. And he would be like, nope, I broke it three different ways. Go fix these, right? So he was good at that. But <laughs> but, uh, but I just, just different people don't do that. And so... It's easy for me to somewhat get frustrated when that's the case, when I see stuff that's like, oh, you mm. didn't test it. You didn't, you didn't even try to break it. You just took the happy path and assumed that it was always going to work. And a similar idea with like UI stuff and user experience stuff where it's like, did you think about what color that button should be? Like, did you, did you think about how the user is going to do that? Or did you just put something on the page? Like, yeah, because there's needs to be more thought put into it than just, well, it works. Yeah. I mean, there's just... I guess that is sort of like an experience driven thing. Like over time, maybe, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been a person who has just been like, oh, well, it works. Like that's never been satisfactory or sufficient for me. And I think assuming that other people approach it with the same idea is a mistake and it's not the case. There are a lot of people who do not approach problems that way, which is weird. Yeah. I mean, if you have a blue button on the page, then you need to put a different color button on the page. That's right. that's what it comes down to, right? That's right. I mean, that's the weird thing. They're like that. They that's that's exactly what they think. Well, there's a blue button. I can't put another blue button. Uh, I'll just put yeah. another color. Doesn't matter what it is. But it's interesting you say experience because experience is not only measured in time, in the number of years that you have been writing code, because you can write code that works. And you could be writing code that works for a long period of time, but it's exposure to other ways of thinking and and wider communities and that that I think really hones those skills down. And I think this other developer, when I say he he's a junior, he's not really. He's been developing for over 12 years. He he's been developing for basically as long as I have. But it's it's um it's interesting how perspective of developers changes based on outside influences. And that, that's not to say that developers in isolation can't be great developers but you get better perspective and better way of thinking and different approaches so i think i think that is one thing i don't i don't want to tread on his toes i don't want it to seem like i'm telling him what to 
do. But at the same time, it's kind of going to be on me to to steer the direction for the team moving forward. And th- this is something that I've I've said to him on a few occasions in the last two weeks is that this works for when it's you and when it's you and me. But if we want to bring on another developer or if we want to bring on a junior and we want to get them skilled up, if we're going to spend all of our time explaining to him or her how the the system works rather than getting them to solve a specific problem and we're going to do this with every single person that comes on board, we're going to spend three months onboarding them into our environment. I said, it's not scalable. It's going to cause us problems. And the sooner that we baseline what we're working on, the better it's going to be for the organization. Yeah. All right. I'm going to cut us off there because I got to go. But there's much more to be had on this discussion. Much more discussion. I could talk about this for another... I went home yesterday and ranted for whatever. I don't usually get frustrated at work. I don't. Never. Yeah. I, I, it's very rare. I, yesterday I came home mad. Like I was... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we could talk about it some other time. I, I don't want to get. We will. I don't want to get. Uh, yeah, we will for sure. We will. I hope that our listeners are gonna like this new. I know that you know we put the tweet out and we asked if if they would be okay if we started talking about some softer things and moved away from the technical. I think we're still both in the technical enough that we can still bring some technical topics to future episodes. But I've, I'm enjoying having a sounding board for you know, being a lead kind of thing. And I know that you've got the anchor station as well, which we can link up, which I finally caught up on. I told cool. you being away for three weeks made yeah. it very difficult for me to keep on top of podcasts. So yes, just when I caught up, I had another nine more. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, they, they pile up really pile up really fast. All right, sign us off, Mr. Bennett. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to episode two of the North Meet South Web podcast. If you liked the show, please two. rate us up. 32. In- 32. 32. My bad. 32. If you like the show, please rate us up in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice, which apparently Matt Stauffer either doesn't like the podcatcher thing. I don't know. Honestly, the only place I heard it was from Chris Coyer's shop talk show. So that's the only reason I've ever said it. It's podcatcher. So thank you, Mr. Chris Coyer. Shout out to Chris Coyer. It's catching on. It's catching on. I've heard it on other shows as well. It has indeed. Podcatcher of choice. Thank you guys and girls for listening. Um, let's see. If you have any questions, feel free to hit Michael or myself up on Twitter uh, at Michael Dorinda or at Jacob Bennett or at uh, North South Audio, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. And uh, you can check out show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 32. Mr. Michael Dorinda will put those together for us and put them on there. Yes, I shall. All right. Anything to sign off with here, Mr. Dorinda? No, go out and uh, write some great software, folks. Be kind to your lead developers. Be kind, please. Please be kind. All right, everybody. Take it easy. See you in two weeks. See you next time. Later.